0: It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
1: People say life is a journey, not a destination, but how do you know you're on the right path? If only we could see the signs when they appear. Well, I'm Mimi Kwa. And I'm Jo Stanley. And on A to B, we speak to fascinating people about how they navigated their way to be here now, having profound impact on the world.
2: We hope our conversations will help you reflect on everything you've been through to get here. The triumphs, challenges and bumps along the
1: road. And if you haven't already, find your own map to what matters
3: they were lined up around the corner to get an autograph and a photo with me and then would say Barbara you changed my life and and you realize that it's it's so unbelievable that you've touched all these people that you have zero contact with and have no idea our guest today has a fabulous alliterative
1: Name,
2: Great word. Great
1: word. (laughs) I'm going to go so far as to say onomatopoeic. Yes. Are you ready for Mm. it? Her name is Barbara Bingham. It's a great name. It's a great name. And she
2: really does have one hell of a story. Well, speaking of hell, uh, Barbara does star in quite a few horror movies, which... I can't watch a horror movie, so I haven't seen a lot of those. But, by Stark Contrast is known also for her rom-coms. She grew up in Hawaii, which is one of my favorite places on earth. She began her career on the original Hawaii 50, which
1: amazingly, and this must be true because it's according to my taxi driver when I was lucky enough to be in Honolulu recently, <laughs> Hawaii 50 is still going on US TV. So a little bit like our neighbors in Home and Away over here. So
2: Barb is like an original cast member. Um, Amazing. She's a successful actor and screenwriter. And I love that she is a huge champion of age positivity.
1: Yes, but as you might guess, all this success has not arrived on a silver platter because as we well know, Joe Stanley, it never is a straight line to get from A to B. We are actually experiencing a miracle right now, right here, all being the three of us together in the same place at the same time. Because when we tried to put this interview together, what happened, Joe?
2: <laughs> I was on my way. Well, first of all, we have to say hello, Barbara. I appreciate hello. your patience because I was on my way to the previous recording session we had booked and my car just died. Literally in the middle of peak car traffic in the middle of <laughs> one of Melbourne's <laughs> busiest roads. And the irony slash coincidence of A to B, where my literal A to B was quite the bump in the road, um, and here we are having a conversation about A to B stories, I was like, mm, there's a lesson.
1: And Barbara Bingham, you could not have been more zen or kind about the whole situation when we had to postpone
3: uh, look, I mean, I've been on that road when there is absolutely <laughs> traffic going past you in a million miles an hour and you're sitting in your dead car. So no, I get it. It's like, that is not pleasant. So, And that is a metaphor for life,
1: isn't it, as well? You know, the traffic going a million miles an hour and you've kind of been in that traffic in your own A to B. And that's what we're here to talk about, Barbara Bingham, because we became friends on Instagram. And I did not know at that time really any of your backstory. All of that I knew was that you were an actress and that you just had this incredible energy. But take us back to the start of your career. How did it all begin?
3: I actually started modeling in high school. And that was my introduction to being in front of the camera, loving the camera, and having a relationship with that camera. Then I started doing commercials and the uh, a producer from a commercial that I shot said, I'm gonna head over to the Hawaii Five O studios. Will you come with me? And I said, sure. I'm eighteen years old, seventeen years old. Sure, sure, I'll go with you. And I get in the car with this producer. We drive off to Diamond Head and he introduces me to the producers at Hawaii Five O and Margaret Dover Sola, who was casting it at the time. She hands me a script and says, can you read this? And I read it. And they said, great, you got the part. It's oh, unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And, and John Hillerman was my boss, playing a very, very mean boss. I had no idea what I was doing. And I got to set. And Jimmy MacArthur, James MacArthur, who played Dano back in the, this was in 1978, comes walking up and he says, you look a little nervous. You okay? I said, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm good. And, you know, and and he goes, just hit your marks. You'll be fine. I said, marks? What are are marks? (laughs) (laughs) And this gentleman gave me a master class on finding your light, walking in and feeling it because we had big Klieg lights at the time. And how to count your steps because I had to enter the office and I had to bless his soul because, you know, it could have been so different. And it was on that set that I went, oh, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Got it. Okay, beautiful. It's so
1: amazing because so many people's A to B is not a straight line, whereas in many ways, as you say, the universe was opening up all of these opportunities for you. And for you, it was quite a a straight line, wasn't it? I mean, even when you were a little girl, you knew that you wanted to be kind of in front of an audience somehow.
3: Yeah, I was going to be either um, Lucille Ball or Carol Burnett or Mary Tyler Moore. It was one of those women. They they were my my heroes. They that's that was it. The only problem is I couldn't sing and couldn't dance. <laughs> but you
1: didn't let that stop you. <laughs> well,
3: I I tried. I, I yeah, because I went to college for musical theater, but it was like yeah, sorry, Barb. <laughs> nope. So this begs the
2: question for me. When people say to B might be more of a struggle, right, is that a sign that it's not the right path for them? Because you talk about how, you know, the doors opened. And I go, oh, should it be always easy?
3: No, I don't think so because I mentor so many young actors now and I see their difficult path. And it wasn't like I got to L.A. and all the doors were open. I mean, I certainly had my struggles. And then even now, you know, since i moved to australia and and raised my son and pretty much left the business for a very large chunk of time and now returning to the business it's not it's not easy there's my tobiny is like it's been hard Something that I loved about you, Barb, is you said to me at one
1: stage, you said, Mimi, I'm going for Australian accent training. (laughs) And where every actor in Australia is doing US accent training, here you
3: are trying to get our accent. I love it. I know. And I tried. Oh my God, I tried. But it's so like, no. No good? No. I mean, the funny story is that my agent wanted me to put down a scene in an Australian. So I had worked on just this specific text and my business partner was helping me. And anyway, he goes, Barb, you'll be fine. This, you can do this. You can do this. And, and I said, OK. He goes, just it was a scene in a graveyard. He Just go to the graveyard. You'll be great. And so I said, OK, I'll see you later. And I come off of Zoom and my son comes walking down the hallway and he says, who are you talking to? And I said, oh, my business partner. And he said, he's blowing smoke up your ass, mom. it, your accent is terrible. You can't do an accent. Don't try an accent. <laughs> and, you know, you gotta, you gotta, I, I can't disagree with him. That's the problem. I, it's, I tried. I did try.
1: I know your son's not a baby anymore, but sometimes from the mouths of babes, we have to be told.
3: <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. Yeah.
2: So what would you have done if you weren't able to follow this path of being an actor?
3: I always wanted to be a private detective.
2: (laughs) Which is often effectively just being an actor.
3: Yes. Yeah. I'm a Gladys Kravitz from the old Bewitz show. I've got uh, an intense curiosity about people. And I mean, it could be called a sticky beak or it could be called a, a nosy neighbor. But I love mining what makes people tick and what what is the motivation behind what people do and how they react. And and that, to me, is fascinating. It's fascinating.
1: Something that I find fascinating about your career, Barb, is that you have not only dabbled, but you have become expert in two very different genres, the rom-com and horror, which I just think it's so interesting. Tell us about that. How have you found yourself in these dichotomy kind of character narratives? And how did you become, you sort of became royalty in the horror genre?
3: Well, it it helps that you're in a franchise like Friday the 13th that has a fan base that is off the charts, right? So that, that helps. But yes, I played these optimistic, you know, wildly um, wide-eyed optimists for most of my career. That is what my branding is. You know, if we, if we go into branding, that's who I am. And even in the horror scene, for me being the wide-eyed optimist going in and saying, oh, no, everything's going to be fine. We're all going to get through this. You know, it, it works in the genre. Right. And everyone's like, look behind you. <laughs> Don't go in there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it wasn't until, you know, like, you know, you do this this horror, this, and it is schlock horror. We're not going to sugarcoat it. It's a, it's a slasher 1980s movie that's not everyone's cup of tea. And it was, the, I remember having the feeling of, oh, Jesus, that going to be my, you know, what people were going to know me for yeah as i left the business right so i leave the business and it's like is that going to be it wow and i had a a guy in the states who asked me for almost 5 years straight to come and do a horror convention in the states and i said look i live in australia it's you know unless you're going to fly me from australia it's not going to work he, every year he asked me asked me and finally one year he asked i happened to be in the States when this convention in Atlanta was on. So all again, everything all lined up that I could be there. And it was mind-blowing because it had been over 30 years. There were people that had autographs from everybody in the movie except for me because I had never done a convention. I was fulfilling their dream. They were lined up around the corner to get an autograph and a photo with me and then would say... Barbara, you know, the character of Colleen Van Dusen was so heartwarming, and I wish I had had a teacher like her, and you changed my life. And and you realize that there's this—it's its so unbelievable that you've touched all these people that you have zero contact with and have no idea. And I went, well, geez, I need to go do some more horror for these people and help them out. <laughs> it is,
2: though— I mean, that's kind of the essence of A to B in a way, in that we do not know who we touch on our path, right? And you have had such a huge platform because of this incredible franchise. What does that feel like for you to know that you've touched people? <laughs> it's extraordinary.
3: Yeah, it's it's a bit mind-blowing to tell you the truth, Joe. I really had no idea. I had no idea. And what's even funnier... One of the guys says, can you just write down the, the what you said in the car or when you were talking to Mr. So-and-so, can you just write down that on the photo? And I think my line is something like, this is just the beginning. So I wrote, this is just the beginning, you know, love, Barb. And he takes the photo and he looks at it and he says, that's not what you said. <laughs> oh no let me rip up this photo okay so what did I say can you tell me and he had all my dialogue so he knew everything exactly as I said it that's amazing that's
2: amazing
1: amazing.
3: and do
2: you think you're a wide-eyed optimist in real life
3: I am I am I am a glass full person yes and what's made you that look it's a good question I I was a surprise baby. My my siblings were 10 years older than me and five years older than me. My parents were done. And then all of a sudden I came along and I think they were so tired. My dad was 48 when I was born and my mom was 39 when I was born. So they were done. They were tired. They were, you know, whatever you want, you're doing I know how they feel. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You do have four children, Mimi. You really have taken... You have an excuse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I love that image, Barbara. I imagine when you say I was a surprise baby, I imagine you just bursting out of your mother, just going, I'm here. <laughs> just- Hello. Just going, I'm going to take this family by storm.
1: Yes. Yeah. And we love hearing about those people that really guided you or were instrumental in your A to B? Because it does sound like you were just, as Joe just said, I'm here and I'm ready. But who was it when you were a child and when you were a teenager who actually supported these dreams that you had?
3: Look, there was a dance teacher. I had Barbara Harris all the way through high school that She really did make the difference that you can achieve your dreams and all you need to do is put your one foot in front of the other. Even though my dream was was dancing and singing, she still she still helped me achieve that. Yeah.
1: Because what was the difference then between you achieving your dreams and kind of going on that path that you went on and maybe other people that you knew or know who then don't? Like they might have the dream, but then they don't follow through with the act of pursuing the dream. Like what is it? What's that ingredient that you had?
3: I think it's resilience. I think that you have to have resilience, and especially in a career like acting, when you hear way more no's than you do yeses, and everyone, and all you hear is how hard it is. It's so hard. Oh, it's so hard. You're going to be an actor. Oh, it's so hard. Hard. Oh, it's hard. It's so hard. It's like, hard? I love hard. Give me, I make it really hard. But what gave you that? What gave you that resilience, Bob? But I, even the competitiveness, I was very competitive with my older brother and I'd always been competitive. So even going into a room of other actors, it was like, yeah, this is mine. You know, like I could just, you know, and I could still talk to everybody and be friendly, but knew that I'm I'm going to go get this part because I can still be friends with you, but I'm going to go get this just so you know.
1: Take us back to when you moved to Australia. Your career seemed to be going so well. And then you moved to a completely different country as far away as you could possibly
3: get. Yeah. My husband and I had both visited here separately and we both loved it here. And because of growing up in Hawaii, it felt, very familiar to my growing up years, just having the beaches and the weather and I just loved it. And so we decided that we would live a couple years here and my son was 10 months old when we moved and we just thought okay well we will spend a couple years here and then we'll enroll him in the preschool at the bottom of the canyon we lived in 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 Malibu for for preschool and we're good. But we've, you know, lived in a different country for a couple of years, and my son just turned twenty-eight. So,
1: <laughs> so the couple of years turned <laughs> into a couple of decades, and then some.
3: Yeah. What? Yeah. Led you to stay? Well, first of all, the lifestyle. Number one, it's it is such a beautiful lifestyle, and we live we're in the northern beaches of Sydney. It's it's a you know being able to to walk down to the beach and go for a swim and watch the waves, and that. That was all just heavenly. And then as we were just starting to think about moving back to the States, 9-11 happened. And we were actually looking at schools in Northern California. And there was an amber alert. And it was such a fear-based atmosphere. We just looked at each other. We were sitting in a parking lot of, of a shopping center and we just looked at each other and was like, what are we doing? Why, why are we leaving Australia? And we both went, yeah, yeah, this is not good. Let's, let's just stay where we are. And, and this is, I, America was not in a good place in 2001. It was just not, not good. And I get a sense, Barb,
1: that in the last few years, correct me if I'm wrong because I've only known you for a couple of years but I get a sense that in the last few years you've really reinvigorated your career like you just seem to have more gusto more drive more determination more things going on so many projects than before can you explain why that is
3: well when Sam was growing up because we didn't know anybody when we moved here there's there was really no support system so for me to be able, I got an agent who and I was doing, I could go away for a commercial and for the day and find somebody. But then when my agent was sending me for things for a three-week shoot in South Australia, that we just didn't have the support system for me to be able to do that. So I then made the conscious choice of, okay, I can't even, I can't go out for anything that will do that because it's just not, it's just not viable. And I was fine with that. I had waited later in life to have a child. So I was really, really happy to devote my time to him. And so that worked out really well. And then when he was getting ready to go to college, he said, so mom, do you think that uh, you'll start doing movies again? And I said, yeah, you know, I I suppose I could. He goes, well, you could let them know that you're available now. <laughs> That's a start. <laughs> That's what I'll do. I'll let them know I'm available kid. now because I'm sure they've all been waiting for me the last 20 years. <laughs> well, it turns out they were. <laughs> well, apparently they were.
2: <laughs> I feel like you have a lot of lessons in your journey. It's interesting because when my car died, you messaged to me, well, you know, there are lessons that the universe share with us, which I was like, oh, she's so right. But I feel like your journey has lessons, one being mothers, you know, who obviously we're overjoyed to have our children and, and, but might love our career as well. And there is that conflict around choosing to be with our children or not. Was that difficult for you? You say, you know, obviously you were thrilled to be with Sam, but in the sense of knowing who you are.
3: It wasn't a difficult choice. It, I think because I had had a full career from when I moved to LA when I was 21, and to to leaving when I was 38, 39, I had had a big, robust, fulfilling career. So there was a part of me that was like, I don't know, maybe I am done. Maybe it's you know, maybe I don't know. Let's just see. But it wasn't until you're looking at empty nesting, full on, that you go. Oh my gosh! I need to get a life because I made this child my life the last eighteen years, and he's leaving the nest. And oh, I got I got to go make a life for me again. Wow! And uh, yeah, How yeah. Do you do that. So,
2: is that scary?
3: It was very scary. It was very scary, and it was. I started it by. He, one of his friends is a coder and he helped me make a website. So he was, I was trying to pull all my work from all the years and I had all this print work. And so he helped me assemble my very first website, which made me feel like, okay, well, I do have this body of work here and I have done a little bit here. So moving forward, it was, I just, it gave me the confidence to go, okay, well, I can reinvent myself now as an older actor, because when I left, I was, you know, I wasn't an ingenue, but I certainly wasn't a grandmother, you know, or, or playing anybody that was in their fifties and sixties.
2: Because, you know, I hear that story so often from women who, you know, late fifties, sixties, and they don't know where to begin in reinventing themselves. Like how what can you say to women who might be going, actually, do you know what? I've I've lost my sense of self because I had put everything into my children.
3: Right. I would say that you need to look at really what makes you happy and what makes your heart sing. And if and you know what you do during the day or with your friends that really makes you happy. And if it's cleaning out closets, I had a friend who loved cleaning out closets. She went to work with uh, the clutter place so that because she just loved, I mean, she just got so much joy from that. And then from there, she went into interior designing. And so it's just finding where that happiness little bubble comes up where you just go, oh, yeah, that makes me happy. Oh, I like doing that.
1: You're such a fabulous advocate and much-loved advocate of ageing positively and just seizing the day and and doing our best in life and finding that happiness. And there was something that you wrote about that your late nephew had said to you, which was really quite beautiful. And I'd love you to speak to us about your relationship with him and what he said.
3: Yes, my sweet Ian. And I get teary just talking about him. He um, he died of cancer at 32 uh, with a one-year-old and a three-year-old and a beautiful wife from a, a uveal melanoma that had started in his eye. And just when we thought that he had got to the five-year mark of being completely clean, it was throughout his whole body. So it was just heart-wrenching to lose him. And... I went to Hawaii as we knew that it was gonna be his last he was dying. And he was so funny because he didn't want to talk about dying. He had a one year old and a three year old. So it was he couldn't he just couldn't talk about it. But he did say one afternoon I was trying to record his voice and I said, Why do you he says, Annie Barbara, why do you want to record my voice? And I said, Well, because I want your stories. You tell such beautifully funny stories. I said, when you're gone, your brother's going to tell them. And do you want him telling your stories? And he said, well, he's going to tell them that I wanted my ashes, you know, in some place in Colorado. And I said, well, where do you want your ashes? He said, well, right there. And there was the Mokalua Islands were right behind him, which is these two little islands right off of the beach in Kailua. And that was the opening for us to just to have the understanding that he was dying because I, because nobody else knew. And on the night that I was leaving to go back to Australia, knowing that I was not going to see him again, I had started Corporate Actors Australia, and I was 58 years old. So here I was at starting a new business with four other actors, three other actors. And I had that business going on. I had a few um, acting things that were coming in. And I had some print stuff that was coming in. And as I was saying goodbye to him, he said, Annie Barbara, it really feels like your life is just starting. And I said, oh, Ian, just from your lips, you know, from your lips. And he said, oh, sat back and he closed his eyes and he had a big smile on his face. And he said, I'll be watching, Annie Barbara. I'll be watching.
1: Oh, that's so beautiful.
3: It's so beautiful. And the man, you know, I came back to Australia and I had to do something. So I wrote a short film and it had nothing to do with him because it's a, like a Hitchcockian thriller, but it was, I needed to give him something to watch. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I, you know, made this short film and, and, and the film is dedicated to him. And, and I think that, him dying and saying those words to me are what is going to keep me working the next 20 years because I, I need to keep putting things out there that Ian can watch.
2: It's an extraordinary gift that he gave you in that
3: moment. Yeah, he did. He really did. And to talk
2: about, you know, the events or the, you know, those little moments in our lives that shape us, would that be one of the biggest for you?
3: Biggest. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially because they are his dying words to me. You know, it's just and he should be here. His kids, his little boy is exactly like him. It is unbelievable. The DNA that comes through his wife and into this child. And I was just I'm going next week to Hawaii to see them. And it's like playing with Ian when he was five years old. It's so beautiful but heartbreaking at the same time.
1: For so some people, and, and I certainly have like this real sense of my ancestors walking with me, of my loved ones who I've lost in my lifetime walking with me. Is that the sense that you have with Ian? And do you sort
3: of believe in that in a broader sense? I do. I do. Ian is so with me every day. I'm reading this beautiful book called Signs. If you can read it, it is a it's this beautiful book about reading the signs that, that there, our loved ones are always talking to us all day, every day, and just that we need to be open to it. And if you're open to it, they they speak to you. And the day that I had the director, and because we shot my short film Over the Edge at my house, so the director, the director of photography, and the producer, and myself, and the other producer, the five of us. We all opened my sliding glass door, and we stepped outside onto my balcony, and five black cockatoos came down, and they have that beautiful cry, and they, and they just, right in front of us, they just zoomed and flew and went on, and then they flew away. And I said, oh, that's Ian. That's Ian saying, that's five of them. There's five of us. He's going, we're all good. Good. Okay. And I, they're all looking at me like, oh, God, Bingham's lost her mind.
1: <laughs> I love it. You can see how we became friends, Joe. Oh, I
3: can. <laughs> it was all
2: about the signs. You know, so many people, though, would be resistant to that, Barbara. And I think sometimes hard to be open-hearted to our loved ones speaking to us because it's too painful.
3: Yes. But I think it's their way of letting us know that they're okay that and that we're okay, too. Right. And yeah, I find it absolutely heartwarming. He, he, we have so many things that he does, but he's just, he's, he gives me signs all the time, all the time.
2: And when you go back to see his children, you get to walk with them. Do you share parts of him with them?
3: Yes. We, the wonderful news is that his wife, when she became a widow, dove headfirst into grief and what it means to be a grieving widow and all of a sudden being a single mom. And she's a beautiful writer. And I kept, you know, saying, please, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And bless her soul. She's got a book that's published and coming out later on this year. And she's a grief counselor now. And she's in love and I'm going to meet, I've met her boyfriend, but I'm going to meet her boyfriend's children next week. So, you know, it's again, it's nobody wanted her to be a single mom. And we have to accept that the kids want a a father figure in their life. And it's not going to be Ian because Ian died. But we talk about Ian all the time with them. I have videos I show them from when they were babies and and from when Ian was you know a teenager and yeah it's we talk about him all the time he's he's part of the conversation even with the new boyfriend which is wonderful really wonderful
1: and that whole idea of going into grief counseling and turning something that was obviously so challenging in her life and so monumentally life-changing and turning that into a way to actually channel energy into helping others. I mean, that is another great metaphor for what we do with grief and what we do with trauma or what we can do.
3: Yes. Yeah. Now, Emily has been an absolute beacon of light on how to grieve and how to be a grieving mother and single mother. And she's an extraordinary woman, really extraordinary.
2: Barbara, I want to ask you about your marriage. It's a conversation we haven't really had in the series so far, Mimi, around our partners, like our life partners, which obviously have a huge impact on our A to B and we haven't had been blessed to have someone on the series who've had a beautiful long relationship yet. So I want to ask you Barbara, is it what is the think, secret? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, do you think when you are with someone for a long time, is your A to B, is your path side by side or do you intersect and sort of come apart and intersect and come apart? How does the journey fit together? Oh, that's such
3: a good question, Joe. Look, I think because there has to be intersecting, and but you have to go parallel. It has to be both. I mean, we've been married. We got married in 90. So that's where we just had our 33rd year anniversary. But are there times when, when you are on this path together? Yes. And then, then there are times where, you know, he's had rough times and I've had rough times and we've seemed to, you know, come back and work through them and, but you, I think the key is you really have to like your partner. You may not always love them, but you really have to like them as a human being, right? And the thing is, and I'll tell the story of how we met, yes, because please. I had been dating actors for years, and it was not working for me. Actors, I, I, I dated a guy who spent more time in the mirror getting ready than I did. And it, and I had spent quite a bit of time, but it was like, you're, you're still not ready? Like, what are you doing in there? So I knew that I didn't want to date an actor. So I just stopped dating. And this was the 80s. And for a couple years, I just didn't, didn't. I had a friend with benefits. So that was great. And it was wonderful because I didn't have to worry about dating. And, but I had a friend with benefits because uh, it was the 80s and you could. And I was supposed to go to a, an improv class that I was doing at Paramount, and I had met with a director and had a glass of wine with him. And then we had a second glass of wine, and I thought, oh no, if I go to my improv class and I'm funny tonight, then I'm going to have to go next Monday and drink two glasses of wine before class <laughs> next week, and that's not a good thing. So I thought, no, I won't go to class. I'll just go home. and. My roommate had this blind date with Bill Barty and she said, Oh, I wish he'd call me. I, she had fallen in love the weekend before at a wedding and she had this blind date back then. You didn't, you know, there was no email there were, you know, no one called. It was like, they were having this date on this night. It was set up, you know, a month in advance. And she kept saying, Oh, please. I wish he'd call so I can cancel. And as I was coming home, from not going to class. They were coming down the stairs of our apartment and I shook his hand and I looked at him and I thought, oh, this is who I'm spending the rest of my life with.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
3: And Terry, my roommate, was standing there and she saw this stuff going off between us and it was like, okay, bye, have a nice evening. And I went into the apartment and in those days I wore Lands made a flannel nightgown that came from like ruffles all the way up here. And it was a big, long granny nightbound, the nightgown that all the way to the floor. They come in after dinner and I'm in my long flannel nightgown sitting on the couch with my ruffles. It's like, oh, no. But he sat down on the floor and poor Terry couldn't get a word in edgewise. We talked about Hawaii. He was a surfer. He had lived in Hawaii for a period of time, and I had tickets to the Olympics, and he was going to the Olympics. Anyway, he called Terry uh, the next day and said, we had a lovely date. Do you mind if I reach out to your roommate? And she said, no, that'd be great. I would love (laughs) it.
1: That is amazing. That is beautiful. I just knew. I just knew. That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, we just know, don't we, when it's right.
2: That's interesting. Mimi, do you remember the moment you saw John? Because I remember the moment I saw Daz.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. John and I have been together 30-something years now and, yeah, I vividly remember the first time I saw him, the second time I saw him, the third time I saw him—that's
2: <laughs> so funny. And I remember my—I've been with my husband twenty-three years, something like that. And yeah, I—I I can see him now in my mind's eye. He was wearing shiny Adidas tracky dacks and a green, uh, like really skin-tight t-shirt, and he had muscles. And I was like, yeah. And he had a tattoo. <laughs> Back in the he's, no one had tattoos in nineteen ninety sevens
3: yeah oh that's so funny and it's amazing that you can remember what they're wearing right yeah it's crazy
2: what was bill wearing
3: he was wearing a crisp white shirt that had silver snaps down it and (laughs) levi jeans And Mimi,
2: what was John wearing?
3: Well,
1: maybe not the first time I met him, but the second time I met him, he came to buy coffee from me at a coffee cart at Perth train station at six o'clock in the morning. And he was wearing a three-piece pinstripe suit to go to Deloitte's to do some data entry. (laughs) (laughs) And he bought a coffee from me. And I remember what I was wearing as well. I was wearing like a green roll neck velour jumper with black wide-leg pants and sort of Spice Girl, what were those shoes called, platform shoes, as the barista. And my hair was in a ponytail and I had big hoop earrings. He bought a coffee from me and he said, you look beautiful for this time of morning. (laughs) So... I'm not sure about the qualification (laughs) for this time of morning, but I took it as a compliment and he bought a coffee and I later found out, wait for this, he didn't drink coffee. He went around the corner and threw it away. He just bought it from me because he wanted to talk to me.
3: You go. Oh, that's so, that's so sweet. I love that. I love that. Now,
1: Bob, we forgot to tell you at the beginning of the program that when we are deep in conversation, just as we are, we all of a sudden come up with an origin story that has nothing to do with the conversation whatsoever. And the origin story today is from Joe. So Joe and I share the task of finding origin stories to bring to our guests. And the other person, that being me this time, does not know what the story is. So it will
2: be as much a surprise to me, Barb, as it is to you. Okay. So the intention is to share the origin story of a very well-known thing. And I'm going to reveal (laughs) what that well-known thing is as I uh, tell you the story. Now, coincidentally, it is a car-related story. (laughs) And (laughs) as... As we are here at the second attempt of this interview because of my de- terrible uh, misadventure with my car, it's it's quite relevant. So this is the story of Bertha, who was married to Carl. Carl had actually invented in the 1880s a motor vehicle, but he wasn't doing much to market the motor vehicle, right? The public hadn't really connected with this car that he had actually created, right? And Bertha was pretty sick of her husband, not really uh, getting out there. And, you know, you talked about Brand earlier on, Barbara. He really wasn't on board with the brand of his car that he had invented. So Bertha and two sons, on the morning of August the 5th, 1888, Bertha left a note for Carl on the kitchen table, telling him that she was going to visit her mother. Now, they lived in Germany and she lived, the mother, 60 miles away. And then whilst Carl was asleep, They tiptoed out of the house, the three of them, went to Carl's workshop and pushed one of his cars down the road so it wouldn't wake Carl and off they took on a journey that took 12 hours in this very first iteration of the car because she was like, I need the world to see what this car is able to do. And so Bertha, she made repairs along the way in this journey. She had to use her garter to repair the ignition. She had to use a hat pin to clean a blocked fuel pipe. Apparently the brakes failed at one point, so she went and got the first leather replacement brakes for this car. And then she got to her mother's and sent a telegraph to Carl to say, look what I've done. The public love this car. They have seen it out on the road. Their surname was Benz. Oh. Wow. So wow. Is This is the origin story of, yes, the Mercedes Benz.
3: However. It should be the Bertha Benz.
2: Why isn't it It that- should be the Bertha Benz. And actually because it was her money too, by the way, that had created the business.
3: <laughs>
2: but. It actually also is the first ever recorded long distance journey taken by an automobile. So she invented the road trip. I love it.
1: That
3: is brilliant. I love it. I love it. That is great. That is so great. great. And then I was
1: just having visions of you, Joe, with your little car that broke down the other day, getting the garter to fix it and a piece of
2: leather and unblocking the exhaust. (laughs) If only I had a hat pin and a garter with me. (laughs) If only. The thing I love about Bertha and her sons is that image of the two of them out on the road and I love the image of you and your son, Barbara, and the connectedness that you have. How has that relationship shaped you?
3: Oh, uh, look, it is like it's everything. He is, he is a spectacular human being. And I, I am just, and the paradigm shifted because I thought I was going to have a couple kids and then had all these miscarriages um, after trying to have him. So then the paradigm went, oh, I'm lucky to have one. And having that only child later in life where I could put everything into him was wonderful. And, you know, he's a a PhD student in quantum physics now. The apple doesn't fall far (laughs) from the tree. Is that correct? Clearly, (laughs) clearly. (laughs) People laugh when I say that. I don't understand. And he's a beautiful pianist. He's done piano. And he's just he's a remarkable human being. And I've taken road trips with him. And he is so much fun. I mean, he is he's just the best. And then my husband, you don't know when you marry somebody, what kind of father they're going to be. And my husband just happened to be this amazing father. And you go, I didn't even think about when I was marrying him. I didn't think what kind of father he was going to be. And that was just a bonus to get this this man who just dove head in to being this amazing father. But yes, to answer your question, is everything.
2: Well, I imagine that your impact on him, I'm certain, is profound. If we were to interview him on his A to B, I get the real sense that you would, you would feature very much on his A to B journey. Get him on. We
1: can do a spontaneous, this is your life. <laughs> just bring all the people in.
2: The other thing in your story that I really have loved is Hawaii because I uh, love Hawaii. It's one of my favorite places on earth. And do you remember, Mimi? I introduced you to a term that I just love. The um, ho- ho- oh, I'm not going to be able to say it. Hoopa opa- no? Am I saying it wrong, Barbara?
3: Ho'opono, Yeah, it's a prayer. Prayer to the ancestors, right?
2: Well, what, this is what I understand it to be because I'm not, I'm not Hawaiian, obviously. Um, it came, I came across it when I was in Hawaii, though. But it is a prayer to the ancestors, but it's something that you say to yourself as well to cleanse yourself of. I, I, I use it as a mantra, I guess, when I find myself being uh, hypercritical, perhaps, you know, that voice that we all have. It's literally the mantra is, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you. And it's just a, it's been a really profound refocus of self-love. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you, which I love. I'm thanking myself and I love you. So that's how I use it.
3: That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. Thank you.
2: But yeah, don't we all have those voices? Yeah.
3: Do we ever? Yes. Yes.
2: What, what? (laughs) What do you battle? I mean, and that's the thing when it comes to actors and resilience. You do it to despite the voices, right?
3: Yes, you have to do it despite the voices. And the voice are saying, you suck. What are you doing? Hang it up. You are so old. Oh, my God, Barbara. So what do you say yeah. to
1: the voice? Yeah. What do you say to the voice? Or what do you do with the voice? Shut
3: the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, it's a work in progress. I think learning to love ourselves. And I mean, I'm I think thank you for today because I will now make this ho'opano part of my life because I I love that. And I think that the self-love and the self-acceptance and the self-forgiveness is something that we can all do on a daily basis.
1: It's a massive thing. So, Barb, as we come to the end of our beautiful conversation with you that we are so very grateful for, what is your B?
3: My B would be connected, to make sure that you are always connected to a community, especially, you know, at at 65, we're kind of told to go away and be invisible and shut up and you know society really doesn't want to hear from us and i'm finding that the more i connect with friends and family and colleagues and you know people on instagram thank you mimi that there is a community that is there to support you and to connect with that's very
2: beautiful and so true
1: Barbara Bingham, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was just beautiful.
3: Thank you both very much. This was so much fun. You two are just divine, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Barbara.
2: Thank you for listening. We love you joining us for our A to B chats. Yes, we do. Please see our show notes
1: for our Acknowledgement of Country and all the people who help us put this podcast together, as well as interesting links to our guests' work and other references we've mentioned. Oh, such as your frequently unverified quotes. Yes, I may <laughs> still need to check a few of those. Thank you. We're Joe And Mimi from A to B. Rate, follow and get in touch on our website.
2: And let us know who's A to B you'd like to find out about.
1: We can't wait for you to hear our next conversation.